0: Look around. We're one and the same. Same heart, same blood. Your training is in your blood, and my blood's boiling for a fight.
1: There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge, where we select order and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast.
2: That's true. I am those things.
1: My man. How we doing? I'm I, I'm going to need to change my intro, I just realized, because we just had an entire season of Mandalorian drop, and apparently, they're not content to do just one more show. They're releasing 10 projects.
2: <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: There's over eight hundred hours of Star Wars on film. Is, yeah. <laughs> is yeah. what we're
2: gonna have—ten years worth of Star Wars content to watch.
1: I'm pretty jazzed about all this.
2: Oh yeah, uh, it's each each like new little reveal. Just it's like a Star Wars advent calendar. Just oh oh that's <laughs> in here. Oh my god, it's phenomenal.
1: One of the things that we're gonna need to spell out with the Star Wars binge is that this is gonna be a great springboard for all those projects. A lot of those projects are going to focus heavily on characters that are set up in Clone Wars and in Rebel. And so hopefully that will become the function of this show for some folks. Hey, you want to get into do you want to know what they're doing here with Ahsoka? Yeah. It's all set up here in these shows. I'd be real curious for you as a Star Wars fan who hasn't done the binge yet what you're seeing with some of these releases.
2: I, it it's really exciting for me, everything that gets rolled out, because while I haven't fully done the binge yet, um, tangentially, peripherally, I have heard about so many of these characters just from being immersed in pop culture and having lots of friends who are yep. real big Star Wars enthusiasts. So, you know, I, I knew Ahsoka's name before I had even seen a minute of her on screen, both in the Clone Wars or in in the Mandalorian, I've heard the name Thrawn before. So it's mm-hmm. as as these as these things get dropped and officially announced, uh, it it just makes me excited knowing uh, knowing I'm doing the binge, and then these things are going to come out. So it's it's just the excitement of I'll know who these people are by the time this material comes out, and I can't wait to just watch it and enjoy it. Without having to be like, okay, now let me go to my notes. Who was this person? Okay, this was that per- I'm, I'm excited to just be able to watch it as a fan and know it.
1: Good. The one place that I might adjust our list, we already have the binge list on paper, trademark stamped. Notarized. <laughs> the The one place that I might adjust, I'm gonna, I need to think through this, is stuff with Thrawn. Uh, it looks as though Thrawn's going to be a huge part of what they're going to do moving forward and so his backstory in uh rebels may be quite important he's he's wonderfully done we talked about this yeah that he's played by uh somebody famous uh, mads mickelson's brother lars mickelson very talented actor could easily slip into that role he's got the he's got the body type facial structure to paint that man blue and he's good to go
2: well i mean and especially if he did the voice in the show Yep, he might as well and just he, do it in the in, in real life.
1: And he's stellar in the in Rebels. He comes across as a very unique villain. There aren't a lot of villains there like that that's a very methodical observer who is a hunter kind of character. So he's coming after you in a very scholastic way.
0: Thank you for the introduction, Agent Gallus. My visit is not an honor, however, but an investigation.
2: Just gorgeous character. Ooh, nice. Yeah.
1: But we are on the 11th episode of The Binge, and we're concluding the Domino Squad arc. As I said before, this is a top 10 episode for me. Just love the hell out of this episode. So many things here, beauty wise, movement wise, have some some real emotional moments here that I just super connect to.
2: I would agree. Out of, out of what I have watched so far, this, this one is definitely in the top five for me. Uh, it, I feel like it has everything you want in a Star Wars story. Yep. You get a great balance of Jedi stuff. You get a great balance of Sith stuff. You get droids. You get the actual spaceships fighting. There's a little bit of everything in this episode Yeah. that reminds you why you like Star Wars, because they're able to do all of those things really, really well.
1: That's a good way to put it. This reminds you why you like Star Wars. There's a lot of new stuff that we haven't seen or that doesn't actually even occur anywhere else really in the canon. It's just beautiful stuff to talk about. Anyway. Yep. You know what? I don't have an opening question. We're just going to get into this. Perfect. (laughs) You ready to go? Let's do it. (laughs) The proverb is fighting a war tests a soldier's skills. Defending his home tests a soldier's heart. Or at least how much he likes his grandmother. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it could be one of the two. But you could kind of let that one house go.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've liked most of the proverbs, and this this one is not an exception. Just purely fighting war feels skillful and tactical, and it isn't until you re- like defending your home really makes you work a little bit harder. It's not just all right. Let's let's go through these steps and put. Put through the paces of the things that we have practiced. Then it's then it's it, yeah, it's much more important when when it's people at your front door.
1: Reminded me of our discussion in rookies when we were talking about the hobbits are fighting for the Shire. Oh yeah, that when I when I saw that pop up, I'm like, that's what's
2: going on there. Yeah, the the emotion, the the memories, the the everything. You're not just fighting to protect nameless people. It's you're fighting to protect what you are, who you are, and and everything that made you that.
1: Yep, There are a couple of clones that talk about the passion they have for defending their home. I think only one of the clones that we see in this episode has imagined this moment, dreamed of this moment, has really set himself up for this moment for years. And I see you, I think you see it. Anyway, but we'll get there. Um, Sure. Hey, the narrator has something to tell us.
2: I'm sure they do. (laughs) Separatist attack. After the destruction of the
1: Republic Outpost on the Rishi Moon. Which we saw in our Rookies episode. General
3: Grievous and Asajj Ventress plan an attack on the planet Kamino, home of the cloning factories. Meanwhile, aboard a Jedi cruiser, Jedi Knights Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi... Examine an intercepted message from General Grievous.
1: And we see lots of quick cuts of the battle in Rookies, and we're reminded that the Separatists hope to destroy the source of all of the Republic soldiers on Kamino. I think we said this earlier, but it's very similar to what we saw with the um, battle at Point Rain, Mm -hmm. where the Republic is trying to destroy droid factories. Here, the Separatists are trying to destroy... Clone factories. Yeah. Well, we're on that Jedi cruiser, and a clone audio technician says...
0: We are decrypting the audio, sir. And we see
1: some of those blue images of communication, and Ventress, uh, who we've met, says...
3: The clone planet of Kamino will be a dangerous target. Just make sure you hold
4: up your half of the mission. We must stop the production of new clones if we are to
1: win this war. Real clean set up here strategy motive this is what's up intercepted message i like the image of intercepted messages during wars because it's not just you know a narrative device this actually happens in wars oh, yeah. and often is a turning point is there a film or even a historic event that pops to your mind in terms of intercepted messages
2: uh, <clears throat> when i thought about this i the only movies i really thought of were about the Building or creation of devices you can use to intercept messages. Yep. Um, there's a it's it's a really independent film. It came out in in I in either 2000 or 2001 called All the Queen's Men with Matt LeBlanc and Eddie Izzard. Uh, big name wise, and yeah. it's about these British. World War Two soldiers who who want to figure out how to make these Enigma devices, these coding machines, and they know there is a German factory that is making them. So their mission becomes infiltrate the factory, steal one of the machines, bring it back, let's figure out how to make it.
1: Oh, interesting. It's,
2: it's a war movie, but it's also a little bit of a comedy, and the comedy comes in because it is a factory that is entirely managed managed and staffed by women so they have to properly train them to pass off as as German women.
1: It's some like it hot for uh you know James Bond fans.
2: Right. Yeah, it's 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 some like it hot meets Private Benjamin with with Goldie Hahn. Uh,
1: my my favorite of this sort is the Imitation Game. All of this stuff on Alan Turing apparently we have just learned this in the last 30 or 40 years. Like Like this was still very secret. After World War II, no one talked about this because it was still the case that the, the British military had an advantage. And so nobody talked about Turing's work. And so he wasn't decorated. He didn't get any awards. Arguably that man, a gay man in the 1940s who committed suicide Early in his 40s because he was ostracized.
2: And tortured and <laughs> mistreated.
1: That man saved the planet. Yeah. Come on. Tortured and mistreated is, is like I mean, there's a great Jesus image in the Imitation Game, if you want to read it in that way.
2: Oh, I, I hadn't even thought about that, but yes.
1: Man saves the world and is, is tortured and... Yeah. Mocked and broken. <laughs> right? Beautiful image but Again, we've talked about this, that the Clone Wars has a lot of World War II stuff going on. And not that they really go into that with this episode, but I bet these clones are working really, really hard to find Separatist messages. And this is one about saving their island. I mean, saving their planet.
2: And that's a thing that's throughout all of Star Wars. We've intercepted these plans. We intercepted some people who knew where yeah. this base was. Like, it's just... It's, it's it's part of the DNA of Star Wars.
0: Easy. You have news from Jed. Come on. An Imperial pilot. One of the cargo drivers he defected yesterday. He's telling people they're making a weapon. The Kyber crystals, that's what they're for. What kind of weapon? Look, I have to go. What kind of weapon? A planet killer.
2: Sweet it Planet killer. That's true. That's the... what in the same way, you know, you should have multiple passwords and you should make them hard to break and get into. The Empire doesn't seem to do a really good job with with their uh, online security. They're like a t- they're like the target of the universe, so easy to hack and get all those all those uh, personal credit card informations.
1: Vader2020 was apparently not the right password for your Twitter account, is what <laughs> I hear. <laughs>
2: Yeah, who would have guessed?
1: The other uh, image that I love just from world history, you may know about this, during the Civil War, just prior to the Battle of Antietam, the northern forces following a southern army through maryland and some of their you know grunt soldiers stumble upon three cigars that somebody dropped wrapped in paper and they're like we got these cigars they were super happy about this they unwrap it they're handing out the cigars this is a luxury and of course the piece of paper they're wrapped in are official robert e lee orders for the entire army special order 191 telling how they're going to advance into uh, into the North. And so buffoon that he is, one General McClellan gets the orders and knows entirely how to destroy Robert E. Lee's forces and chooses not to act on them appropriately. And essentially the Northern forces tie in this battle where the Northern General knows exactly what they're going to do and he still can't defeat them. But it ends up being a huge turning point because after Antietam, Lincoln announces the uh, Emancipation Proclamation.
2: That seems like such an unbelievably stupid thing for somebody to do. Like, what? Here, use these uh, plans as essentially a handkerchief that you would like wrap something up that you want to keep <laughs> nice. They're they're very top secret military strategy plans. But I guess also if you want to use them to like spit your gum into, that's fine too. <laughs> so unbelievably dumb. I.
1: I imagine i have no no knowledge of this but i imagine that they're like okay we're sending out these orders good southern tobacco just motivates you know high-ranking officials here here's a cigar take your time make sure that you get this stuff because it's really important these are special order 191
2: yeah it's the it's the prize at the end of the box of not very good cereal like oh man all this hard (laughs) military stuff
1: oh look at these cigars Well, there is a meeting of the high-ranking warriors. We see Anakin and Rex and Cody and Obi-Wan on the deck of their Jedi cruiser. Jedi cruiser, by the way, is um, Republic lingo for Star Destroyer.
2: It's also Anakin's screen name (laughs) on on his online profiles.
1: Man, that's how you attract a senator. It really (laughs) really is. Especially if you're six years younger than she is. Mm -hmm. Anakin watching this emotionally reacts. And he
0: says... Kamino.
1: And Rex also emotionally reacts. He says, They're going to attack our home planet. Kenobi, the outlier here, says, The Separatists are taking quite the chance, even considering this. Rex doesn't want to process this mentally.
0: He doesn't want to think strategy. With all due respect, General, if someone comes to our home, they better be carrying a big blaster. I can go with Captain Rex, sir. This is personal for us clones.
1: Anakin Just jumps ahead.
0: We'll make sure Kamino is secure. Tell your troopers in the 501st they're going home. Yes, sir.
1: Again, we see motive with the uh, dialogue between Ventress and Grievous. Lots of motive and personality coming out in this really small exchange with these guys.
2: To me, this scene really backs up the proverb at the beginning. Even though Anakin's initial reaction to everything is... Explosive and emotional. It's still very much a soldier looking at it from the skillful sense of here's how we defend this. Obi One is stepping back and and thinking very clinically, in a skillful way about what this means. Yet immediately, Captain Rex, you're going to attack us. You better have you better have big weapons because we will we are going to fight so hard to protect where we're from. Yep. You see the balance between clinical tactical thinking versus emotional fury about the the idea that your home is being attacked and and i think it is just another really great level for the the clones it just it it paints them again as they're they're people they're not just clones faceless clones they are people and they're from somewhere and and the that place and the people who are there matter to them spot on it's a great moment
1: spot on kenobi has been to this planet once he sees it as one of many places in the galaxy that Could be defended that might be a strategic point and the clones don't one of the virtues i see emerging in anakin here that's worth naming because there's so much to criticize in anakin (laughs) and
2: and i do believe me (laughs) anakin's never been to camino
1: anakin is infuriated by grievous obviously but anakin's loyalty to the clones comes out here And I think that's really praiseworthy for the reasons that we've mentioned that clones see themselves as dispensable, but not to this character. Anakin cares to say, we are not only going to defend you, but we are going to acknowledge this is your home and home matters.
2: This is, this is the first episode that I have seen with Anakin where I have not, exclusively just been annoyed like you really get to see some I I feel like you really get to see some leadership from him you see some selflessness from him and and you you see some you see some willingness to look at kind of a greater good from him that isn't just motivated by him and what he's afraid of so this this one much as much as you and and Josiah predicted is one of the things that I've seen that made me go okay I get it I'll give him some slack
1: Anakin as we all know is a uh Flawed character, mm-hmm. uh, but being able to peer into the virtues of Anakin at points in time really is going to be important for us to care about anything that goes on in the prequel era, and will really strengthen some of the stuff that we see in the original trilogy. If if they can get there,
2: I think it also validates the proverb at the beginning about testing home testing a soldier's heart. Anakin is exclusively heart. Now, obviously, that plays out in corrupt, unfortunate ways, but you can see see how much that matters to him, and that's his starting place. Yep.
1: This doesn't mean that Kenobi's move is a bad one. Kenobi, actually, I think is the reason they win the battle here. Mm -hmm. Um, because he can separate his emotional life from the struggle at hand. There's a couple of very important moves that Kenobi is going to make that because he can be dispassionate end up being the reason that the clues are unveiled. And so good mixture, good chemistry here between three very different types of people. This is my home. I'm very loyal. We should stop and think about things rationally. Man, that's a good... That's a good team.
2: Yeah, and then you throw in the muscle and determination of a of a Captain Rex character. It's perfect. Yep, that's a it's a great group. It's a really it's a really good first scene of this episode. It tells it tells you exactly what you're going to see. Yeah. from all of them for the entirety of this of this episode. What to what to expect and how to expect it.
1: Jump in and we're moving. Uh, there's a cut to Ventress and Grievous talking again at distance. They're in different places. There's a lot of espionage going on. Mm -hmm. To set up this scene Both stealing messages And then she has been on Kamino And planting all the things Preparing for this battle
3: All is ready, General Good We will attack Tipoca
4: City first
3: I have the exact locations Of both the clone DNA room And the clone trooper barracks
4: Both shall be annihilated
3: Under my hand Our hands, General Count Dooku assigned us both this task. But of course, assassin. I look forward to meeting
2: you.
1: Mitras gets in a little dig there. She, You're not superior to me.
2: I really enjoyed her in this episode. She's great in this episode. I, I've said a couple other times, I cannot wait to see more of her. And this episode really gives you a taste of what what and who this character is. Yep. Her ship looks like a villain ship. Everything about her, is like, oh, right. <laughs> This is a villain. Like, there's no confusion. It's so great.
1: You will be familiar with the screw tape letters. Intimately. One of the things that <laughs> this is an joke, inside joke between Daniel and I, because Daniel did a fantastic one-half-hour monologue through the screw tape letters a few years ago that's probably online somewhere that you could find if you really
2: searched hard. I, I believe so, yeah.
1: One of the things that Lewis says about the bureaucracy of hell is that it functions like this. It's just all dog-eat-dog. Dog. Mm-hmm. It's just everyone is constantly positioning in autocratic governments, and that's what I, what I see here in this this little exchange.
2: Yeah, it's you you get the sense that even though she is in a lesser position than obviously Count Dooku and and in this case General Grievous, she doesn't think that is the position she should be in. And I th- and I actually think she's right. She is she is a much better soldier and and just character than Grievous is, and I think he knows. Yep. Cuz he's very clearly threatened by how much of a scary, crazy badass she is. And she knows that too. Like she's aware of several things. She's a, she's aware that she's better than her position. And I think she is also aware that he knows that. And she is, she is like a cat playing around with something in, in all of her scenes with him.
1: This is going to be a huge part of motive going into this battle, which is something I'm super excited to talk to you about. I think Ventress is central to why this battle is being fought. Because we need to ask the question, why is it that Dooku, that Palpatine, want to fight this battle? Palpatine and Dooku both set up Kamino to birth clones so that they could create the clone army. Why is it that they are now seeking to destroy the planet? Mm -hmm. Let's start with Dooku. Why would Dooku want to attack base at Kamino? I don't think this is real clean.
2: I, I don't either.
1: Daniel, my brother. One of the benefits of the Star Wars binge is we're bringing some context for this. Say it is the case that we move the Lost Ones, which we talked about last week, into the narrative. Mm-hmm. Now we have motive for wanting to destroy Kamino that's not just, we're going to wipe out the clones. Dooku in the Lost Ones is trying to cover his bases. He screwed up. He screwed up in stuff with sifo
3: Mm -hmm. Why do the Jedi look for Sifo-Dyas? What trail are they following? If there is a trail, it is unknown to me. Retrace your steps. Find this loose end and eliminate it. I understand what is at stake, my lord.
1: Dooku doesn't appear in this episode, but we could read into this... The Dooku realizes, I have messed things up and we need to destroy all evidence. Right. And we need to burn all the papers.
2: All of the loose ends have to be tied up.
1: I think that makes way more sense of Dooku's motive than what we would have gotten if we just watched season one through three.
2: When I thought about why would you attack Camino, thinking about it just tactically, it makes sense that you would do it to level the playing field. You would stop enemy soldiers where they're being bred, born, and trained. Yep. If you take that, not only do you lose an opposing army, you gain the ability to enforce your own troops at the place where they are literally creating people. The thing that doesn't make sense to me, though is exactly what you said. Dooku and Palpatine are involved with this being set up. Like they're, essentially, Palpatine is fighting himself. Yeah. Like, everybody's playing off of everybody. This These things that end up being beneficial for you already, but also kind of not... It It's, con, it's confusing, and it does feel like oversight. But now that you've said the thing about Dooku, I like that a little bit more.
1: The thing with Palpatine... Palpatine becomes real interesting here, and he's never mentioned, but I think there's a lot to be said here. Palpatine is orchestrating a war. He's playing both sides against each other so that he can gain more power. It could be the case that he sees the balance. He needs. He's balancing both armies to the right degree so that he can get maximal damage between the sides so that he can eventually become emperor. But there's one other big element which we do not know yet, because we haven't gotten here in the binge, but I'm going to spoil it. Palpatine is aware that the combination of Dooku and Ventress has become too big. It's real common in Star Wars for the head Sith to be opposed by two. So we will see this in Empire Strikes Back. Vader is calling out to Luke to become his sidekick, to become his apprentice, so that they can defeat the Emperor together. That's why Darth Vader is saying, Luke,
3: you can destroy the Emperor. He has foreseen this. It is your destiny. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son.
1: Two very powerful Sith will be able to topple the guy who is in charge. Palpatine knows this and Palpatine is aware that Dooku and Ventress as we see here Ventress arguably is more powerful than Anakin oh yeah when we know from Lost Ones that Dooku is more powerful than Anakin and Obi-Wan combined there is something about Dooku and Ventress they may be enough to overthrow Palpatine and Palpatine knows this and Palpatine in in future episodes we're going to see what Palpatine does because Palpatine has Ventress as a target. I think that Palpatine thinks that Ventress is too powerful. And so it might be the case that this is one of those moments in war where you send somebody into conflict, into battle because you want to kill them. Yeah. This this happens. There's a famous Bible story of David Uh, David is in love with a woman named Bathsheba, and he sends Bathsheba's husband into the front lines on a suicide mission. He is killed, and then David takes Bathsheba as his wife. Real similar here. I think this is about killing Ventress. And there's a bunch of language in this episode that I'll I'll bring up where notice how this is a suicide mission.
2: That was one of the other things I was thinking just as we've been talking. Palpatine is playing both sides of of the field on this one, and it it does feel like... Well if he can get Ventress taken care of that's great. But also if if you can get Obi-Wan and Anakin and some of these other Jedi, hey if they die that just that's just easier for him too. So it's it's really for him it's a win-win. If Ventress gets killed, he he doesn't have to watch his back as much. And if four Jedi's get killed, he's sitting pretty good because he doesn't have to worry about them either.
1: It's exactly right. Chaos is a ladder.
0: Chaos. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder.
1: Yeah. He just keeps pushing that card in. How how much chaos can I create where I'm separate from it and allow other people to kill themselves and and I am become all the stronger every single time?
2: Yeah, because you, you, you will have removed opposition without ever having had to do anything.
1: Yep. The motive for Grievous and Ventress, I think, are pretty straightforward. Grievous apparently thinks that he will, one, be able to eliminate his foil in their military production. He'll say this at some point, get the DNA samples so that he could use it to understand the clone's makeup and look for weaknesses. Why is Ventress fighting this war?
2: I mean, it's the same reason anyone tries to do good at their job, right? You want a raise, you want a promotion. And I think she knows that she is an excellent fighter. Well, if she's better than Grievous, gosh, at some point, maybe she's even better than Dooku. And then if she can get rid of him, why not just keep going up the ladder? Like, she clearly is a force to be reckoned with. Like, she's a great uh, secondary villain who you should be watching out for.
1: That's exactly right. In fact, we're going to talk about secondary villains, but I'll hold off on that for a minute. There is some new hope going on here in my mind. Grievous actually takes the role of Tarkin. Tarkin is the official Nazi general overseeing, you know, the Death Star and all of the forces. And Ventress is actually Vader. She is the assassin who is special, who is separate and distinct, and is very self-aware. She's an elite henchman who works exclusively for the man in charge. And in her understanding, the man in charge is Dooku. And it's like she has freedom to navigate this situation like a spy assassin would with ferocity. Two very different styles of number two henchmen, as it were.
2: She's a mercenary. Yeah.
1: We're going to get to this was the Domino Squad arc, as we've said, but we're going to get to a very powerful Ventress arc here relatively shortly and getting her backstory motive, seeing more of why she's doing what she's doing is going to color a lot of these episodes. I would have loved to have put this before these episodes, but it just doesn't fit. But her finding out who she is later in the game is going to color a lot
2: of what we see here. That's excellent. I'm excited about that.
1: So Ventress says to a droid,
3: Are the Aqua droids prepared for phase two of the plan?
2: Yes, mistress.
1: And then we see Ventress walking to a window, and the camera pulls back to show that she has actually, this whole time been in a submarine that moves through the water like a squid this shot is shockingly good it is not only unveiling oh wait wait, this is where she's been it's showing technology we've never seen that is really praiseworthy and it's dark and sinister
2: yeah it's in the in the same way we've talked about it before but in the same way that Westerns have those character looks and those character placements where, where there is no doubt that this is a villain. She's, she's in a murky yes. underwater submarine with like a big bad guy contemplating window to stare out of.
1: I love that you brought up the window because these windows were designed by McQuarrie in Return of the Jedi and in New Hope to represent spider webs. And especially in Return of the Jedi, the window that's behind Palpatine in the throne room is designed to look like a spider web. And this window looks something like that. It's got that imperial style. Yeah. And sometimes you are the spider. Sometimes you're caught in the web. Oftentimes, if you're the number two villain in Star Wars, you're one of the ones caught in the web.
2: Yeah, but you don't know it. (laughs) That's exactly right.
1: Uh, What I got here, and I love that you said this, it's the dark... You're under the surface of the water, which means this is undercover, like you're deceptive in nature. I got a lot of Bond villain going on in this scene. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yes. 1970s James Bond submarine warfare is all over this episode for me.
2: 100%.
1: We'll talk about this when Kenobi decides to put on his James Bond hat, because he even has some one-liners that you're like, that is Roger Moore. Somebody was watching Moonraker and or whatever those ones with him going water are Moonrakers in space. But one of those, he drives into the water in his car and you're just like, man, you just trashed that Lamborghini. And then all of a sudden it becomes a submarine and you're just like... Q,
2: Q thinks of everything.
1: As a seventh grade male with James Bond looking to his right and the woman who is with him in this Lamborghini made into a submarine, all I'm thinking is... This is what it means to be a man.
2: This is what you strive for. I just just want a car that turns into a submarine and an attractive woman to cruise around in it with.
1: James Bond villainous boss looking out the window, looking very confident in this vehicle moving through the water towards the city. Sinister music, just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I want to take that a step further. Aside from like the obvious ships that you and i love in star wars the millennium falcon x wings etc her vehicle here is a new favorite for me oh yeah i can't think of any other ships that i'm like like this this one is wonderful i just love this vehicle
2: yeah there is a fluidity to this ship that we don't see with a lot of the other star wars vehicles the the squid the squid like nature of of this submarine is really organic and fluid as opposed to choppy and mechanic like some of the imperial walkers that we've seen or or boxy like just even some of the mm-hmm. single person fighter ships this is really cool
1: this one is super clever in its functionality which we'll talk about in a minute but we're actually going to see this as ventress's personal ship we're going to do an episode called the hidden enemy soon in which she's still using this vehicle to to fly from space on into a war zone these vehicles are also used in the mal calamari arc uh, at the beginning of season four we're not going to cover that arc but it's an underwater battle that's real interesting uh they are called trident class assault ships we need to give them a nickname apparently there's not one ventress's squid submarine
2: is probably <laughs> What tell me one more time what the Trident what? They're called the Trident
1: is actually probably their shorthand but it's a Trident class assault ship.
2: Wow, that's a That almost feels like a ship you shouldn't give a nickname to. <laughs> like, you know, you know there's always one or two people you know who you're like they don't get a nickname because their <laughs> name already is like whoa. That feels like one of those. You don't nickname that ship. That's the Trident assault ship. You use its full name.
1: I might shorten it to Trident later because there's going to be a handful of them that are uh, doing great damage here in the future. Yes. We'll need to, to talk shop about them. Uh, but that shot of Ventress and the Trident moving from under the water to the rainy surface. And then we see that large Jedi cruiser commanded by Kenobi and Anakin arriving. Again, just a fantastic setup for a battle. And, it's, and here's a very similar shot to what we see in Attack of the Clones. Um, in Attack of the Clones, we see uh, a few thousand clones loading onto one of these Jedi cruisers. Here, we see the opposite. Now they're loading off because the battle is going to be on Kamino in defending this city. And we cut to Lamasu and Chakti, and they are walking
0: out to welcome the Jedis.
3: Masters Kenobi and Skywalker, welcome to Kamino.
0: Greetings, generos. I wish our arrival wasn't under such circumstances. We believe Grievous is planning a separatist attack on Kamino. And
1: Lama Sue says, But the Republic blockade is far too strong. They would not dare. And then the camera pans into Shakti's face and she gives a look and it's impossible to read. That's great animation where...
2: No, I agree. There's so many characters in science fiction films where you think, do you not pay attention to the world that you live in? Yeah, right. Oh, well, come on. The Republic blockade is, I mean, it's much too strong. There's no way anything could be bad. It's like, dude,
1: pay attention.
2: Pay attention.
1: There may be something going on here because we know that the clones were created by Dooku and it has not been shown yet, but we might, if we are putting pieces together, like how is this all working? Lamasu has to be part of that connection to dooku there may be some hubris here you know this character is filled with pride of saying my partner wouldn't attack me my 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 separatist ally wouldn't betray me isn't that what's going on here yeah
2: yeah it's it's they would not dare yeah it's the confidence that having a secret affords you that's it that you know everybody else looks like can you believe the the balls on this guy but Cause they don't know the thing that he knows that it's all kind of connected.
1: Shakti is expressing that she knows there's something untrustworthy about Lama Sue and she can't put her finger on it explicitly the the relationship between these two throughout the binge is going to be real interesting especially just if we fast forward to the very very end of the clone wars these two characters are going to emerge again in a very important arc one of the best arcs um, of the series that kind of is closing out some of the some of the stuff in the clone wars
2: well and she, and she her just in and of herself is such a great character Truth. she she's my favorite of of the jet some of the jedi masters that we have met so far um just visually she's a striking character and uh the 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 choices she makes and the things she does she she's such a good character
1: yep they do a ton of work on her eyes this was something I'm watching this on a on a fairly big monitor in front of me and the thing that kept hitting me is every time that they're animating this character they do a massive amount of detail on her on her eyes to to showcase her emotions
2: which is great in a character who is meant to be emotionless as we've talked yes. about before with a lot of these jedis she's she is saying Jedis, with a lot of these Jedi, that is the plural of Jedi. The words that they're speaking are, we don't get involved, we don't care. But then anytime you see their eyes, and specifically her, but even I would argue even the other ones, you see the compassion and care. It's it's there.
1: Yep. It's again one of those things, just to put a pin in this, all these different, very powerful figures overseeing a galactic war with very different motives and perspectives... Coming into conflict and allowing the conflict to shape narrative, I just love this kind of storytelling.
2: Yeah, it's done very well.
1: It's not quite Game of Thrones where everybody's seeking the same prize, but it's very, it's, it's World War II-ish. Patton has a motive that's very different from Eisenhower's, which is very different from Hitler's, which is, you know, you can go down the line. Mm-hmm. It creates a fantastic landscape of activities. So we see Fives and Echo walking the hallways together. They are the last survivors of the Domino Squad. And they both now have the blue lines on their armor that represent the 501st Legion. Echo has the Rishi eel blood handprint on his chest. Mm-hmm. Didn't clean that off. That's some, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on to this, brother. And they're not shinies anymore. That,
2: that armor is well-worn. Yep.
1: There is one additional detail that has been added to their armor. Both of them have it. They have added a patch. Fives on his right shoulder and Echo on his thigh have an image that looks like a tattoo of a Gatling gun, and it has some lettering underneath. And apparently the, you know, it's the weapon that Heavy used.
2: Yes. Um, I didn't notice that, but the minute you said that, I was like, oh, that's so good.
1: Apparently it's got the Star Wars language. You know, it's got Arbash and somebody translated it online and it just says for Heavy. And so. Oh, that's. They are these new soldiers. This is such a new soldier thing to do. I've been through battle. I lost some friends. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go home, get drunk, and get a tattoo of yeah. my friend who, say, who, who, who died so that I might live.
2: Yeah, that is awesome. I love it. And it, we, we keep talking about brotherhood, and that just feels like such a great way to show, not tell, something something really important like that. You know, cause you could, you could lose a whole scene to, oh man, isn't it awful that this guy died and we're also sad and whatever else, but th- that all of that is in that moment. And I think that's perfect. Love it.
1: And it's, it's so understated. That was the thing that got me like, I'm sure that design was very intentional. They had to translate the star Wars language, you know, to make this happen, put it on them. And you're exactly right. It's show, not tell. And there's real backstory here if you want to dig.
0: Yep. It's perfect. Look around, Fives. Feels like yesterday we were here. Heading to target practice. <laughs> Remember that? Do I ever. And they see somebody they recognize. Hey, 99. Ha, huh, Echo. Fives.
1: And this is super important setup here, I think. 99 isn't just walking down the hallway. He's carrying... A load of rifle, mm-hmm. but that's not his job. He's a janitor, right? I don't think that that's his job. I think he's doing something here that's out of his, you know, job description. He's carrying these weapons because, as we'll see throughout the rest of this episode, he's real interested at supplying soldiers with weaponry. And I think he's doing this intentionally, as though imagining what might happen someday. I might be the one to bring guns to the front line one day. I might be the one who's defending the city. I think that he's fantasizing in some ways here, and then he sees some some of his friends.
2: I like that. My brain also looked at it and thought, why is the janitor transporting yeah. firearms? Because in my seven years as a janitor, <laughs> they never once were like, "Would you please take that pile of guns to the to the next room." But um, I looked at it as he's such a he's such a servant. Yeah, he he has such a servant. Spirit. I agree. To me, it was much more, maybe I'm done with my work. L- let me help with this other thing that isn't my job just because it needs to be done. I'm just here to be helpful because of how much I love all of these people and this institution. So I'm going I'm going to sign up for work that's not my work because I need to serve. I think
1: that's spot on. I think that's 100% who that character is. He sees the two clones coming down the hallways and he immediately says,
0: Ha, huh. Echo fives.
1: And we'll know how difficult it is to tell these clones apart. They even have different armor. Right. 99 has some some crazy ability to identify the specificities I suppose Fives has a big tattoo of a five on his forehead, but aside from that.
2: Yeah. The bloody handprint on a chest, there's probably not a lot of people who have that.
1: He, he may have heard the story that oh, Echo's coming, and he's, he's got, you know, Rishi eel blood on his chest.
2: Uh, he, he did. The, jan- the janitor hears and sees everything, <laughs> you hear it all. It's so another
1: throwback to the Breakfast Club.
2: Or Scrubs, even. I feel like the janitor in Scrubs is like the quintessential, like not even trying to hide the. F- As he's like emptying a waste paper basket, he's clearly listening to the conversation. Like, and it's true. That's what we did. That's what we do.
1: It's kind of like the cook in Hunt for Red October, where he's just kind of like, he's actually the, the KGB agent.
2: Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, reference
1: we should actually be suspect in 99 Uh, we're we're getting set up for 99 to actually be a separatist agent here (laughs) yep (laughs) there's a there's a dozen star wars fans whose hearts hurt when i said that (laughs) and rightly so
2: oh yeah
0: that would be that would be crushing you actually remember us oh i remember all my brothers (laughs) is heavy here where's he
1: and five says it has to break some news. Apparently this news didn't get to
0: 99 yet. There was an incident on the Rishi Moon outpost. He saved our lives, but he gave up his own.
1: In 99, Uh-oh. pulling out the medal. Uh-uh. I see. Something worthwhile here. There's lots of receiving medals in Star Wars, especially in the films. I don't know that anyone does anything with those medals. It's not like they're—you don't see them, you know, hanging on the wall. Yeah, I'm real glad that I got that—that whole uh, Yavin battle medal.
2: No. Right. Yeah. There's no den where it's like, hey, I noticed you looking at uh, (laughs) my—I noticed you looking at my medals. Let me tell you about how I won each of these. That first Death Star. I got this. uh, My buddy got this. My buddy, who also did a lot of (laughs) stuff, he did not get one, uh, and that comes up a lot. But I got one, and there it is.
1: Lucas was dealing out points for New Hope to everybody and their and their cousin for a while, but yeah. the prop guy.
2: That guy quit the business. You only made two mechs? Left the business in shame <laughs> because I didn't make one for the giant dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, this this moment with, with 99, he he's such a good character. Such a good character. And I wrote down when I was taking notes watching the episode, just in in my brain continually going back to the proverb we see at the top of the show the the notion of heart and home that's all I wrote I just said 99 I remember all my brothers heart home he is he is everything that you're fighting for in the in the metaphorical sense and I'm going to even say in the literal sense because he this all matters so much to him It's not just a battle. This is is everything he has and is.
1: There's something about being an ambitious young person who really, all they want to do is go out in the world and do the thing that they're made to do. But at some point you realize it really matters that somebody back home cares about me. And that's who that character is.
2: Yes. And that hit me very emotionally <laughs> and very uh very connected to my real life right now. It yeah, so doesn't, doesn't like, oh.
1: describe <laughs> Daniel's life at all.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I was I was perhaps more prone to be like, "Oh my god. This is so great." <laughs> He's another f- 99's face we talked about Shakti and the way they animate her and 99 is also one who I really feel like they do such a gorgeous job animating him there's so much expression and so much emotion that comes through that animated characters face and eyes and it's beautiful very true
1: one of the things I mean just as a total side note here I, I may just not be familiar with a whole lot of other animated projects on Nickelodeon But I imagine that the the care, intentionality, the depths that they are shooting at, that they're targeting, they're saying, we're going to go to this level, y'all. And they're hitting it. Mm -hmm. Masterful. It's just one of those things. I, I don't know that I can... I mean, the only other show I can think of that has a fan base like The Clone Wars that seems to emerge years after it's released is the original star Trek. Yes. You know what I mean? I mean, that is, that's
2: yeah.
1: How many shows get discovered seven years later, eight years later? I mean, for this show, it's, it's a decade later that people are like, Oh, this is wonderful.
0: Heavy gave you his medal.
1: Echo looks at 99 holding out the medal, and he knows what it is. And 99, Changes the subject.
0: So, why have you returned to Camino? The generals received word of an impending attack here. Well, how can I help?
1: Brilliant writing here of somebody who is shutting down their own emotional life. I'm just here to serve you and your needs. Yep. One of the things I love about 99 is this is an authentic character. He has a rich, deep emotional life that he's not going to show you. He is greatly grieved I'm sure to hear that heavy who was one of the few clones who really saw him honored him gave him something has died and yet he's that person that shuts all that stuff down how can I how can I move on to the next thing
2: he allows himself what four seconds to grieve I'm yes. like looking at the looking down at that metal and, and you can see this you can see the heavy sadness no pun intended you can see the heavy sadness on his face. And it's like four seconds, and again, it's all done silently with the animation. It's 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 gorgeous. Yep,
1: it's a thousand percent intentional. Of I'm of it, I'm going to change the subject from the death of the person I cared about, as opposed to bad screenwriting when it's just like, well, we got to move the plot along and move to talking about how there's this impending attack because that's what we're really here for. Nope.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, you don't have the moment where you think, wouldn't they address this? It totally makes sense. Mm. It's organic.
1: We see Grievous commanding his crew to attack from space. We cut to a clone on Elaran's bridge, who is telling us,
0: The Separatist fleet is pressing their attacks. Contact commander to Poker City.
1: Every time we see Camino, it's of this city. But we talked about Camino in the past, and it's worth just talking about this particular city this time. You have any thoughts on this location? There's going to be this huge battle, obviously, over this city on stilts on this water planet. What hits you with this with this location?
2: It should be unimportant. Is kind of my initial thought. You know, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's a city on stilts in the ocean. Like n- nobody's probably going there very often. Which is the perfect place to hide a clone army manufacturing plant. So something that seems to have been created intentionally with a shroud of secrecy, now suddenly having so many eyeballs on it is really, really interesting to Mm. me. And especially if I filter it through what we talked about earlier with Count... The notion that maybe Count Dooku is trying to cover up some of this stuff. You're not supposed to be looking at this city. So let's just... Let's fall it. So then... There's no more questions about this stupid thing nobody was supposed to know about anyways that didn't. That shouldn't have even mattered, but now it does.
1: Two big things hit me on exactly those lines recently. For whatever reason, the architectural style of brutalism was in the news recently. The president said, hey, I want all government buildings from here on out, executive order to be made in this style. Brutalism is the architectural style that the FBI and Justice Department are made of. Uh, They're made of concrete, shaped concrete. They're very intimidating looking and they hold secrets. And as you were saying, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly how that feels. The, The shaped concrete has a character to it. Inside it's, we've talked about this in the past, inside it's Apple headquarters. Yeah. It's a very white and bright and you you feel like somebody's gonna try and sell you an iPad. But, on the outside, we have secrets. Yeah. The other movie that I was watching, I watched Gattaca last night with Kelly and all of the buildings in that movie are also brutalist in style. Very clean on the inside, very elegant. The, Dude vacuuming his computer every day. Uh, mm-hmm. And on the outside, it has this very intimidating concrete facade.
2: Almost a, almost as if to say, look how intimidating this building is. If you don't have business being in here, you probably shouldn't be in this building.
1: Yes. That's the spirit of Camino.
2: I like that a lot. I agree.
1: We're extra galactic. We're not part of the galaxy. We are the hidden space where nefarious things are taking place under the cover of dark, and yet our structures are very clean and well-designed. It creates that
2: spirit, man. Yes, 100%.
1: The thing with uh, Tipicoa City, lots of similar imagery here to Bespin in Empire Strikes Back. Those structures in Bespin of Cloud City, the domes that are red, in cloud city and the domes that are gray real similar it's a gas planet a water planet there's a whole mythology behind how these cities are constructed but the spirit of the two cities is real similar very clean and there's imperial activity
2: taking place yeah behind the scenes too i mean it's it maybe to the outside observer its business as usual but but yeah there to when you start poking around it's like there's a lot of shady shifty stuff going down here
1: yep which makes The defense of this location as home for characters we really care about and respect, real interesting. Yes. It was the place that, you know, Palpatine and Dooku's grand plans were being manufactured and yet it's still home. I love that. There's the dark side and the light side and that's a better understanding of a lot of the places where we all come from when we think about where we come from. You know, there was awful things going on there. There were wonderful things going on there. Daniel and I grew up in a city, or I presently live in a city, that actually had World War II internment camps in it for Germans and had major massacres of
2: oh, yeah. indigenous people. Well, and, and then, I mean, even more recently than that, clan activity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mean it's, yeah not yeah, there's really great redeemable things and really... Uh, seedy, shameful things about everybody's home.
1: Working through that matters. Being able to repent of the things you need to repent of and being able to elevate the things that are glorious, it's not an either or. Yep. So glad that we got to talk about clan activity in this episode. Sorry.
2: Hey, you know, it's <laughs> it Star Wars,
1: and you know what, Daniel? It's 2020.
2: It is, yeah. It, it... It's apparently a relevant topic. <laughs> it. I I would say so.
1: Man, I, I was trying to say that as a joke, and yet it's 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 actually much more. <laughs> it just isn't funny.
2: <laughs> well, as Marcus Aurelius once said, only the truth is funny. So
1: <laughs> we see Skywalker hearing that Grievous is coming. And he jumps into an interceptor. This is the first time that we see this in the binge, but these are spacecraft that all the Jedi use, and and they're kind of uniform. All Jedi use this specific type of vehicle, and his is painted yellow and gray, just like his ship in The Phantom Menace. My computer paused on this image when I was doing notes, and I looked up, and just the hangar, it's three seconds of artwork. It's just beautiful. I looked up and it's this yellow and gray spaceship and hangar, the shadows are done wonderfully, the the light sources, and I'm gonna say it probably in every episode, but the Clone Wars is just a masterpiece of artistic, you know, visuals.
2: Oh yeah, 100%.
1: We then see those ships flying from Kamino into space to engage Grievous. Cody is uh, on the brig.
0: Shore up our defenses.
1: Shakti says,
3: The fleet is not as large as I expected. Begin the airstrike.
1: Another worthwhile thing here, and I think this is so subtle. Shakti throughout is very skeptical. And right here, she says her skepticism, but doesn't reveal much about it. The fleet is not as large as I expected. She knows something's wrong, but it's not stated emotionally. It's just very under the surface. But her tacticianer brain starts working. And here's the thing about this episode. There's really just three tacticianers in the whole episode. Mm -hmm. It's Kenobi throughout. We see Shakti being one who's looking at the chess pieces. Where do we need to move our troops? What do we need to do with things? And there's one other tacticianer, only one, who says this is what we we need to do. And it's 99. Mm Mm-hmm. There'll be moments where 99 steps forward and says this is what we should do and Commander Cody says yes, Rex says yes, other clones say yes and he's the one orchestrating the movement because ain't just a janitor, man is a general defending his home.
2: Yeah, he starts, he starts to get judged not by his diminutive appearance but I guess by the quality of his heart And inside of that, he is a leader. He's a soldier and a leader.
1: It's a both there, yeah. It's both, like, his heart is robust, but his intelligence, knowing his soldiers, I mean, let's just, let's assume that he's actually a general in disguise. He knows his soldiers, knows their backstory, cares about casualties that take place in their lives, um, knows the needs they have in terms of weaponry and where they need to go in order to be successful. All these things.
2: Yes, I agree completely. Dude's a boss. He really is. Like he's such a good character. Unexpectedly.
1: Unexpectedly, either that or by by intention and design. And yet, Joss Whedon's going to show up in this episode. <laughs> oh no! <laughs>
2: to do his Joss. It's okay, in the Snyder cut, there's going to be five ninety nine, so it'll be okay. <laughs>
0: we cut to space. Good to see you, General. Ready to have some fun? You know me, Broadside. I'd rather be up here than stuck in a command center.
1: There's an excellent space battle in this ship. Poloni tells the story about his interaction with the guy who's designing this space battle. And he saw the initial cut and he's like, let me show you Return of the Jedi. And he and this artists sit down they watch how they did the Return of the Jedi space battle and just how much more movement there is, the ways that the spacecraft navigate around larger objects like the Star Destroyers and he's yeah. like, you need like 20 times more <laughs> assault vehicles as it were and the yeah. guy came back and he created this. It's just this beautiful almost ballet in space so there's a dance going on here
2: it feels like to the that big space battle in Return of the Jedi is so good cuz cuz it's a lot but not too much whereas I feel like the space battle in The Phantom Menace at the end is too much. Yep. There's too much going on in that to to pay attention to it and to really even care about it. Like they just packed it whereas Jedi Return of the Jedi and this space battle is is pretty phenomenal to watch.
1: Some of that stuff in Return of the Jedi took Forever, ever, because they're doing it with models. Oh, I,
2: I believe it, and that work pays off.
1: During this space battle, some pieces of Grievous' space cruiser are blown off the side and begin falling towards Camino, and an automated voice says, Warning,
3: falling debris. Grievous appears to be sacrificing his transports in favor of protecting his command ship.
1: Something's not right. Again, I don't know that I can think of a Jedi that's more insightful and observant than Shakti is she's routinely just cutting to this is what's taking place she's not necessarily stating the conclusion but she
2: sure knows what is important yeah it it feels like it feels like they're getting the puzzle pieces but they haven't started putting the like really putting the puzzle together but they know they know something is wrong
1: there begins to be the feeling of a chess match, and I really like Shakti and, and Kenobi as a pair. Like, that is a partnership that would have been great to have and explore. Oh, yeah. But we cut to a droid in ship who says,
3: Reinforcements have arrived. Send out the Aqua droids to assemble the assault craft.
1: Cut to Anakin.
0: Focus on the cruisers.
1: And so movement, chess pieces, people are, things are getting lined up. Anakin, all emotion and loyalty.
0: I'm going to press the attack, Master.
1: Kenobi, having thought through all this, responds saying...
0: No, Anakin, wait. It's too easy. Not even Grievous would attack so recklessly. Master, the battle's up here in space, not down there. The debris from the destroyed Separatist ships is the key. What are you thinking? I think I'd like to go for a swim.
2: That is your Roger Moore, James Bond, like...
1: total James Bond move.
2: It's exactly <laughs> what he would say. The plan that both Grievous and Ventress seem to have laid out is pretty brilliant.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like this as an attack strategy.
2: They probably do know that... There are the Anakins who are going to be so distracted yeah. by the shiny thing in front of them of the space battle that they're going to be up there not paying attention. Oh, yeah, it's a space battle. Of course, stuff's going to get blown out of the sky. That's what happens in space battles. And and I don't yes. I don't necessarily think that they expected Obi-Wan and Shakti to, to kind of start thinking, hold on, this is a little bit too easy. They don't start putting that puzzle piece together until it's a little bit too late. Yeah. But I think the mistake, it, the hubris mistake of Grievous and Ventress is that th- nobody would pick up on that. Mm. Like like they seem genuinely, when, all of a sudden when Obi-Wan Kenobi is down in the water and sees what's happening, it seems genuinely super, like, oh God, he thought to come down here?
1: Right. But it is a great plan. You need a misdirect. Yeah. This is an entrenched position. You have to get everybody going one way so that you can circle around them. It's a good move. Cut to under Tipica City, and we see very large stingray-like creatures swimming near Kenobi's submarine. These are called Iwas, and they are singing like whales. And fun fact here, these creatures were designed by Ralph McQuarrie for use in Empire Strikes Back on Bespin. But they were too expensive to create, Yep, and they were introduced into some of the Legends material, and then... They appear in Attack of the Clones, but here they kind of have more of a prominent role as not just background animals. But Kenobi says,
0: Nothing as of yet.
1: And Anakin makes fun of him over the radio, says,
2: Only you could be worried about the ships I already shot down.
1: If you're a hammer, everything's a nail? Yeah. That's Anakin Skywalker
2: there needs to be scenes where after every time Anakin is like, you're a bozo for thinking about this. There needs to be the follow-up scene where after the battle and everybody's sitting like eating a meal and, and somebody just looks at him and was like, Hey, remember when you said, yeah, I need to
1: think if there's any situations in which Anakin Skywalker is ever like clever and wins because he's mentally quicker than the other guy. It might happen with Palpatine at the end, but, That's that's something, put a pin in that. (laughs) Yeah. The challenge. Do we ever see Skywalker being more clever?
4: Wait a minute.
0: Awkward droids. Looks as though they're assembling assault craft. And we
1: see six or more of those squid like Triton submarines that are beginning to assemble and fly through the water, and they're going towards the city.
0: And Kenobi says. Anakin, I was right.
1: Point for me, sucker.
0: Yep. Those down transports were hiding ships for an underwater assault. Anakin, come in.
3: Hold it right there. Do not move.
1: So apparently he loses radio contact. Any thoughts on these droids before we go forward?
2: They're super interesting. That, that was kind of my only real thought yeah. of it. It's just, we, I mean, it's a droid we've never seen before, and the notion that they would make some that, exclusively seem to function underwater is kind of interesting.
1: These feel like those commando droids, but they've made them underwater. Yeah. Apparently, this is a move in a lot of, you know, of these tentpole fantasy superhero kind of films. You you take what you've done above ground and you move it underwater. So you have Aquaman is now doing all these spectacular superhero special effects underwater. Apparently, Avatar is going to, Avatar part two is going to be underwater.
2: It's all underwater. Yeah.
1: The next step in the evolution of uh, entertainment is always, but can it go underwater? Yep. You got a phone, but can you drop it in your aquarium and still get reception?
2: (laughs) Does it swim? (laughs) This is the real
1: question for technological advances.
2: There are a couple of tool companies that make pens that write in the water. Uh Uh-huh. Same story. And they basically said, you could get underwater and write with this pen. And I just think, why? No one needs to do that. <laughs> right. Number one. Is there's underwater paper? Because I feel like if my I feel like even if my pen writes, my paper won't. Right. <laughs> Dumb.
1: I had a friend who had a, a NASA pen that apparently, you know, ink in order to get to the tip requires gravity. And so you need somehow to push the the ink to the mm-hmm. tip of the pen, and she was real excited about her pen. And of course, me being a just a contrary, and said, "Why don't they just use pencils?"
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> because
2: pass me the space pencil doesn't sound as cool as the space pen. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just a pencil at that point.
1: <laughs> so three droids assemble and they begin pounding on Kenobi's sub. And he this is a cool scene. He releases into this escape pod, which launches towards the surface. The droids continue beating on the windshield and they finally break the glass. And Kenobi, again, gorgeous shot, springs forth from the pod, cuts one of them in half with his saber, and he's clearly struggling for breath. And then these Iowas swim by, and he grabs one of their flippers and swings onto its back, kind of like a cowboy jumping on his horse, and it launches from the water into the air. Pretty cool. All majestic. (gasps) Kenobi says,
0: thanks for the lift,
2: friend. Very Roger Moore, James Bond.
1: We're going to see this throughout Star Wars, that the evil forces routinely are more technological and the forces that are for good in the light side are more organic and utilizing life and this this is one of those contrasts and it's again bespin but everything that's very clean concrete stagnant is actually a source of evil and yet it's the organic it's dagobah is where the life is.
2: Yeah. I mean, and it's it's the the Yoda episode that we that we did. He's so in tune with nature yeah. and urging other people to be connected to it as well.
1: There was a callback. You and I are recording at a time just after the final episode of Mandalorian 2 has been released. When we did our Yoda episode, they had not shown this yet, but there's a scene with Grogu meditating on a rock, calling out to a Jedi, and around him are blue butterflies. Mm -hmm. And it's a real similar shot to what they have in that episode with Yoda, with the birds who assemble. Oh, yeah. But just the idea of, of being in tune with nature with these creatures that are around you in a meditative posture, there was a rhyme there.
2: Oh, that's super interesting. I like that.
1: There are places, especially in Rebels, where this might they might go overboard on this front and I'll be real curious what you think because I'm, I'm really looking forward to dialoguing about this because I haven't talked about some of the stuff that they do with whales and wolves in the future. I'm just gonna put a pin in those. Okay, There are whales and yeah, wolves yeah. that we will see in the future and how, how do we think about these things um, but, but on their best spinning them their best possible way it is when you're in tune with Uh, the forces are good and the light side you are connected to the living things in your planet and that's what's going on here yeah yeah so Kenobi calls for Anakin's help Fives and Echo are told to take a sniper position by a clone commander who's going to be killed in a few moments and then we see the Trident subs spring from the water again super cool and they take Mm -hmm. their post on the dome city it's kind of like King Kong on top of the Uh, Empire State Building we're gonna destroy this sucker We don't know this about these squid-like tridents, but they have a drill on their undercarriage and they posture themselves on top of the domes and begin drilling into the city itself and once they have dug in they open up underneath and release a fleet of aqua droids. It's just a great functional design
2: you could not design a better assault vehicle, yeah. both in the sense of the vehicle itself can assault something, but then it also deploys tr- troops to lead the assault once it's, once it's gotten. It's just a brilliant, it's a brilliant piece of technology. To quote the Joker, where do they get those wonderful <laughs> toys?
1: When you're going to take a beachhead, you need the tech to get your troops where they need to be. Absolutely. I know the American military forever was trying to design a plane helicopter hybrid that you could like fly, and then it would turn into a helicopter so that you could land. Yeah. And then that would allow troops to spill out from it. And apparently, like they they they've spent decades trying to develop that technology. I don't know if they have it, but that functionality is really important. It's 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 the beachcraft landing at D Day. What, what do we do? Right. This is the best we got. We got these boats that can go and just unload our troops. These things drill in,
2: explode. Yeah, they do some serious damage before yeah. before a single boot is on the ground.
1: It doesn't quite have that Saving Private Ryan feel because you don't have the clones firing back in the, the way that you do in Saving Private Ryan. But, but it's clear that they have taken um, a military position and now they're unloading. Yeah. They are creating space and then somebody cues the Metallica music. Because Grievous comes out and he leaves his ship and like all second tier villains, he is present and he yells out,
4: Kill
1: Yeah. That's all I could <laughs> think of was the Metallica album cover. <laughs> So we see damage and panic in the city. We see cadets running. We see debris tumbling down. Yeah. It reminds me of the end of Lord of the Rings where Sauron's tower collapses. Something very similar happens on the interior of Kamino where the towers that birth the clone cadets yeah. begin to fold and crash into one another in kind of a shattering glass kind of way.
2: Well, it's interesting as, as they're falling too, it's interesting because you realize there are lives inside of there too. You know what I mean? Like there Ooh. are clones in there as well. So that was my reaction to it of like, wow, that's...
1: I hadn't thought about that.
2: That's 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 some, those are some serious casualties happening right here.
1: That's exactly right. I did not think about that. That's a good call. Ventress's trident has arrived in her platoon releases, and she just walks out looking like a boss who is in command and is here to do her job. And
2: and do it very well.
1: Students are fleeing, and then we see 99, and as we did in that opening shot, he is carrying and handing out rifles. And again, I think he has mentally prepared for this moment. This is his time. And he looks worried, but he is courageously moving through the blaster fire, and he is supplying soldiers what they need. And the clone commander looks over and he says, 99,
0: no, 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 get out of here!
1: And he's immediately hit by a blaster bolt. This is
0: no place for you.
1: And then he gets shot in the face. And, of course, you and I and all the other viewers know this is exactly where 99's supposed yep. to be. He he
2: is he has thought about this for his entire life.
1: Thoughts on underestimating this character?
2: Yeah, everybody's doing it and and everybody is wrong to do it yep nobody expects that the janitor knows how to accurately choose weapons for war or 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 encourage and lead other people they just think he's only he's only good for cleaning up messes
1: the only letdown in this whole episode is one of the last lines when they're talking about 99's legacy and they don't go far enough mhm it's to go back to Alan Turing, these are the ones who actually win the war.
2: Yeah. The people you don't think people want to see on the front lines, in the case of Alan Turing, a, a, a gay man, in the case of 99, sort of a misshapen mistake, yep. the people you don't think people want to see on the front lines are the exact people who are going to try their hardest and best for you and, and be the reason you win.
1: A few summers back, my family and I... Stayed a couple blocks away from Arlington National Cemetery and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Mm-hmm. You'll know this: the tombs are above ground, and apparently it was the case that people would go there because it was so beautiful and have picnics next to this, uh, next to these graves. And the military decided that was unacceptable, and so they posted a guard. Mm-hmm. And they said, "We're we're going to have a guard who makes sure that people don't have picnics here." Well. The pomp and circumstance that surrounds that space now is glorious. They have a a 24-hour-a-day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, posting of the best soldiers on planet Earth who walk in front of those graves and say to anybody who is around them, you will remain silent and respectful in this space. And any time that people, dignitaries from other lands come to our country, one of the places they go is there to lay wreaths and to celebrate. A buddy of ours, the great Craig Basserich, and he serves presently at Arlington and plays. And they have specifically recruited a trumpet player who's one of the best in the world to come and simply sign off the the day to announce this person matters and we don't know who he is. That's 99. You know? Yeah. Soldier who is worthy of esteem and honor, may not have all the stars, may not ever be known in future Star Wars episodes, but is a symbol of everything that is best and most noble and honorable in the clones. I love that. Kenobi says to Anakin, who has joined him on one of the big landing platforms.
0: There aren't enough droids here to capture the city. They're trying to distract us. Go protect the DNA, chamber. I'll deal with Grievous. Got it.
1: Again, the tacticianer reading, understanding, and reacting to their moves. We see hundreds of droids approaching the city from landing platforms and fives and echoes hitting the ones they can from a sniper position. The captain called this a dangerous spot and assigned these two clones to go take it, and then of course we see 99 coming from the back into this danger zone, and he's got we can beat these guys. weaponry. He approaches his brothers and Don't says,
0: I, I brought you some ammo.
1: Fives! Real interesting here.
0: Is there a better spot than this? A better defensive position we
4: can take.
1: What do you call the person who you're asking for military advice from?
2: A a, a general.
1: <laughs> a commander has been shot in the face and killed earlier. They are placing ninety nine into that position.
2: And he's and he's the perfect person to do it because he goes all over those those buildings. So who who would know yep. better than him?
1: Echo then says, "Droids behind us." Again the general steps forth, points to the tool that's required here, he says, Fives looks over, grabs a thermal detonator, throws it at the droids. Thanks,
0: 99. Good job. Look out! There's more
1: clones turn to fire, but it's young people who are coming through the smoke and they're
0: c what are you doing here?
1: We got separated from our group.
0: Where were they taking
1: you? The barracks. Oh, I know the best way there. Great little scene here.
2: Yeah. The, the, th- the thing they established that he wants when we first meet him, he's getting it now. Talk about that. He is getting the opportunity for greatness thrust upon him, to, to use that old quote, the idea of some men are born great, some people achieve it, some people get it pushed onto them. And that's, what, that's what's happening here with him. Like He was not born great. If this hadn't happened, he wasn't going to achieve anything great. But in this situation, it gets literally pushed onto him by his friends.
1: There's a movie with Tom Hanks about him as an airplane pilot
2: Sully yeah the Hudson the Hudson yeah
1: one of my favorite intros to a book uses that historic moment as an illustration apparently Sully is an older pilot mm-hmm. takes off from a New York airport is flying over the city with hundreds of passengers and it's one it's a one in a million kind of situation where he hits a flock of Canada geese that destroy all of his engines. And he is suddenly in a plane a few thousand feet up over a major city with hundreds of people involved. And we know the damage that airplane can do when it crashes into New York. Yeah. When you hear the backstory of Sully, it's real interesting. He had done like graduate level work studying airplane gliding really and he had written papers on this of all things so he's over the city he decides not to try and return to the airport he decides instantaneously i'm going to try to land in the river and he knows enough about the geography of the on the ground the river is (laughs) going North and not south. So I'm going to have to bank the plane so that I can go with the current of the river and not go upstream. Because if I go upstream, the, the river will be going too fast and the plane might start to tumble. But if I go downstream, I'll be going with the current and that will allow the plane to land more cleanly. And so apparently, in, and you'll know this from the movie, like in the space of 50 seconds, they do about a thousand things that prepare this plane to both bank, to get in the right position, to get the nose up, to get all of the things that might allow water to get into the plane to be shut. Um, and and yeah. he lands this plane in the river brings it to a stop, gets everybody out. Hero that he is, once the plane has landed, he goes up and down the aisle, making sure everybody has gotten out. Gets onto the last boat, and the lady next to him, they were flying to Florida or something from New York, and she didn't bring a coat. And hero that he is, he took his coat off and put it on on her. Yeah. And he starts asking about passengers. And the total number that got saved.
4: Dan, I need
0: to know who's hurt and how badly, and I need to count. 155. That's my number. That's passengers and crew. Okay. I'll answer that question when we counted 155. All right.
1: Okay. And if you've seen the movie, the heartbreaking scene, I mean, that just crushes you is, is when, uh, you know, an official from the airport. Department of you know National Transportation or whatever comes in. And he says,
0: well, "The union is pulling out all the big guns today, huh?" Talk to Dan Brisselli. Got a count? 155.
1: And he just, he just breaks.
0: 155. It's official. 155. 155. Yeah,
1: greatness thrown thrust onto somebody. You know, it's like. Prepared his whole life, and then you got two minutes in which everything that you've been preparing for this whole time all materialize, and, and you do your job, and that's 99.
2: And not only that, I mean, not only does he do his job, he arguably lives more life, you know, in that two minutes than he has his in, his entire actual life. He's, yep. He has lived more in these brief moments than, than 99 has in, in the entirety of his life it's great
1: brings a lot of context to his last words which are
0: I'm a soldier like you
1: <sighs> this is
0: what I was prayed for
1: By the way, TJ always cuts these parts out of our podcasts. Our podcasts are way more emotional, but <laughs> like, I'll, oh, I'll be crying it. about my mom and he's, he's writing down notes. Minute, minute 22. Delete. <laughs> we'll see if you survive here, Sully. Well, we cue the Metallica music again and we cut to a dark red hallway. And Droids are being led by Grievous toward a few entrenched clones who are being picked off one by one Leaving just commander Colt who we saw from clone cadets He is the last uh, clone there behind a wall And he's preparing to fight he's gonna be the last man and he's formable He has a rifle in his hand and he turns and he is suddenly picked up by an unseen force user And you cue the Star Wars Horror film music at this point. Because Ventress then steps out from the side and she's been force-choking Colt, and he is struggling and having a very difficult time. And we feel this moment. And she oh, yeah. she ignites that lightsaber and pulls this terrified man towards her and just impales him. And you know, for effect. Gives the man a kiss. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, that is the the force choke, lightsaber stab, then death kiss is profoundly evil. I
1: don't know if it counts as a snuff film, but I mean, it's got that. It's got like a what do you call it? I mean, there's like there there is a dark sexual element.
2: Yeah, it feels like it's a control thing. Oh,
1: there you go. Grievous looks and says,
2: "Your skills are impressive." Perhaps a match for my own, assassin. Okay. (laughs) Sure, okay. Count
3: Dooku may have taught you how to swing a lightsaber, general, but that hardly makes you my equal. And yet I am the general in charge of this assault. Remember, assassin,
4: you are to recover the clone DNA.
1: So slight disagreement that
3: occurs here. She says, why not just destroy it?
4: Because the DNA could unlock
3: new possibilities for us. Keep playing with your droids. I'll handle breaking into the DNA room. There's the only distinction, I think, between these
1: two. Grievous wants to win this war because he's the Robert E. Lee. He's the commander in charge of the whole army. That's not what she is. She's Vader. Yeah. She is the henchman of Dooku, and we're going to play our hand I have one task.
2: Yeah, and and I think that's what makes I think that's what makes her really evil. Yeah, is, is she's only focusing on that stuff, and I think she is aspiring to be what and who she's surrounded by. Yep these 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 higher ranking Sith masters. That's that is what she is working towards, and this is the way to do it. Shall I provide you with a droid escort?
1: Grabbing her, and Ventress pushes. Him away cleanly.
3: My dear
1: general,
3: there's nothing you have that I could want.
2: Which is a great line. (laughs) Just Just, just, so dismissive. And you know, if they kept the camera on Grievous after she walked away, he'd Mm -hmm. be like, think of something stupid to say back. He's like, yeah, but you're. (laughs) Oh, damn it. And then have to like walk away in shame and like shove somebody just to like for added effect.
1: That pickup line just didn't work, buddy. Right. (laughs) I
2: want to talk about.
1: Uh, we're going to do the Ventress deep dive when we get to the arc that really focuses on her. But um, but for now, I love the idea of villainous number twos. Neither of these characters are in charge, but they are serving others mm. who are evil lords, as it were. But the second in command, who you know is unleashed to do awful things by those in power, is a real interesting trope. Darth Vader is obviously this character for Palpatine. But you also have characters like Mystique for Magneto or Vincent and Jules in Pulp Fiction or Clarence Bodiger is one of my favorite villains in RoboCop. He's not the primary villain, but he looks like that because he is doing all the dirty work and doing it yeah. with ferocity and humor and Joker-like <laughs> efficiency.
2: Yeah. Well, there's even... The 1989 Batman, the Joker has Bob the Goon, who does most of the Joker's dirty work. Sure. That character feels particularly sinister because it's like the Joker obviously has things he wants, whereas the character of Bob the Goon in this film, he just sort of seems to like doing crimes. Yeah. There's no real motivating goal for him. It's like, "Eh, whatever, I'll be doing this anyway. So
1: When thinking about Dark Knight, Joker sells himself to the gangsters as though he's a second, but he's not a second. Mm -hmm. He tricks them into thinking he's a second and then he takes control. Yeah, You know who else is a second in the Batman universe then is Harley Quinn. Oh yeah. But her story is real similar to all these characters. It's there's the primary evil figure and then there's a moral question for all of these characters. Do I want to continue serving evil? I'm the henchman. I'm the one who is empowered to do the dirty work. Nebula is this character in the MCU, clearly the second in command, who is the henchman to Thanos. Yeah. Which way are you going to go? Vader, obviously. Which way are you going to go? Saruman. Yeah. And if we play Saruman's story out, he chooses to commit to Sauron and dies on that ship.
2: And yeah, and, and betrays his friends, like in, in the in the moral thing. It's like, what are you going to side with? Yep.
1: I don't think it's bringing it down a peg or two to say this is what Pulp Fiction is about with Samuel L. Jackson's character. It's it's, he is trying to find out who he is as this assassin character and who he wants to serve. Real similar to Vader, who's an assassin character. Real similar to Mystique, who's an assassin character.
2: You mentioned Harley Quinn. That's the whole plot of the, the film birds of prey it's it's harley quinn deciding she's done being the errand person for the joker like mm-hmm. she she's she's walking away from it she's done a mm. lot of great supporting characters like it, it's just the movie's just kind of a fun ride ewan mcgregor to tie in with star wars is the bad guy in, yeah. and he plays a delightfully nutty villain
1: man i was so let down by uh, Suicide Squad, I don't think I haven't been properly let down by a movie like that for a while. <laughs>
2: I think everybody was let down by Suicide Squad, including the people who were in it.
1: The trailer for that movie was so good, and uh, yeah, just missed. Yeah, the character who really has the profound turn that struck me as this character is Jamie Lannister, mm. serving his father as the the as the muscle. Yeah. His father who is compelling him further and further into this dark selfishness of serving family and family alone in Lannister, knowing there's higher moral ideals that he wants written down in a book somewhere. That's that's the the two choices in front of him. And these characters have yeah. that.
2: That's a that's a really good one. And
1: of course Kronk from Emperor's New Groove.
2: Just Patrick Warburton, that guy can do no wrong.
1: Love this kind of villain. Um, the thing about this kind of villain that's interesting to me here, just to push a little further into this, is if you're Freddy Krueger and you kill kids, you're unredeemable. If you're Hitler and you kill kids, you're unredeemable. There, there's all these... Well,
2: n- not, not if, in Hitler's case. <laughs>
1: yeah. The primary evildoer who is killing children is irredeemable. But Vader kills younglings. And I'll be real curious when we have this discussion, when we get to, to Return of the Jedi, is Vader redeemable? Is it the case that we can actually go with the filmmakers? Because in large measure, this is a this is what the binge is about. Is Anakin Skywalker redeemable? And that moral question hangs through everything. You know that we see because we know where this character is going, and we know how his story ends. Yeah. And can you go there? If you can go there, then the then the Star Wars binge actually has value and power and meaning. But he, but yeah. he killed that Scottish kid. Yeah. And can you get there? And yeah, one of the only reasons you might be able to get there. Is that he's not the primary; he's the secondary, and we sympathize with the fact that Vader is a slave, and and he himself has to process.
2: Yeah, no, I, I love that. I, I'm excited that that'll be a good conversation.
1: Mm. It's not just Vader then for Star Wars. I mean, we can see this with a handful of other Star Wars characters that they're 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 elevating that kind of story of the principal villain who has the second-in-command, and we really focus on the second-in-command. So Boba Fett's going to have that story. Darth Maul's going to have that story. The client in Mandalorian's going to have that story. There is, I don't know if you've gotten to see some of the Old Republic stuff, but there is Arkane the Twin.
2: I have not much.
1: just I'm just going to say it for Star Wars fans out there, but, but Arkane the Twin has this story, and it's just perfectly pictured and then when we get into Rebels we're going to see the Inquisitors and we're going to see Alexander Callas and so much of the movement that they're building up prior to New Hope is going to be of of these kind of secondary villainous characters and are they going to make choices that are are worthwhile so Mm -hmm. worth putting a pin in that again as a conversation point for notice how this recurs throughout because it's a great trope
2: yeah, yeah, totally.
1: Cut to the barracks, red lighting, fives, the cadets, and Echo are standing around, and one cadet says,
3: What are we going to do?
0: A separatist victory means death for all of us. The cadet is right. What are we going to do?
1: Again, he has internalized that the stakes of defending his home matter. And the cadet is right, he says. What are we going to do? And Rex steps into frame. We
0: fight. But our training's not finished
1: real interesting move then it's not rex that gives the the rah-rah high school coach speech it's fives five steps forward and he says
0: look around we're one and the same same heart same blood your training is in your blood and my blood's boiling for a fight
1: and echo builds on this and he says this is our home
0: this is our war
1: what about weapons well lo and behold the character who knows weapons there's a lot of heavy 99 overlap yep the character that knows weapons is 99 just like heavy was for those first two episodes of domino squad he was the one that knows weapons and 99 says the armory
0: is just a few corridors away here in the barracks I can retrieve all the firepower that we need. (laughs) So who wants to blast some droids?
1: This is the scene that I want to elevate as the tacticianer has stepped into the room. There's the commanders, of course. You need George Washington to say, hey, here's where we're going to go. But it's the tacticianer who's behind. It is Hamilton who's saying this is how we're going to get the job done. And that's who 99 is and here ooh,
2: that's a great that's a great comparison
1: alongside Shakti and Obi-Wan it's 99 who's the tacticianer. and he is leading Cody and Rex in this moment because we see it on their faces they affirm him and it's not just yes this is right but there's kind of a joy that takes over in Cody and Rex
2: they affirm him but also they clearly trust him
1: ooh talk about that
2: It would be very easy to do a scene where there's conversational moments of argument before they decide, okay, you know what, 99 is right. He could say, we need to go over here, I'm going to do this, and they'd be like, well, hang on, why do you think that's a good idea? And then he would have to defend himself, and then they would come around to thinking, you know what, you're right. Whereas in this situation, they are asking him because they trust him, and once he says what what he thinks they should do, they do it right away. Like, they clearly trust him enough to not second-guess him because he is just as much of a trooper as they are.
1: Cut to the control room. Aqua droids are walking down a hall, and we get to see Shakti unleash on some Separatist tackle with dummies. <laughs>
2: yes, that, oh, it's so good.
1: She ignites her lightsaber, charges, cuts one of them in half, amputates another's arm and then uses the amputated hand as a projectile and force throws it into another one's face who goes down she then lifts up three droids throws them into the wall together and crunches them like an oreo and they just go down i know that we've talked about this before but this might have been a character that was worthy of investment
2: yes Uh, oh my goodness 100 percent She's so serene and calm as we've seen her before. And then this moment, she flips a switch and she's so badass. Really nice character moment.
1: One of the reasons I really like Ahsoka is one of the reasons I love watching Shakti, both in animation and in a lot of the comics have this as well. She is simply breathtaking to look at as a warrior. Yes, You'll be familiar with Todd McFarlane's comic Mm -hmm. book work. He does Spawn. He does a lot of Spider-Man. He did some Batman stuff. McFarlane uses the cape of Spawn and Batman in these gothic, majestic ways that create movement. Yeah. And one of the things that they do with her is both with her mantrals and with her outfit is they swing it in ways that create an extra level of action and beauty. It's that kung fu action beauty that just takes place when you're doing high-level martial arts that yeah. is not only you know effective at disposing of bad guys, but you're just like, damn, that Bruce yeah. Lee is amazing.
2: If you can look awesome while doing the thing, that's just a great added bonus.
1: That's that is who that is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you set up her character is so cerebral. And then eight buffoons break into her office and you know it. They don't know it yet, but she is going to release some pain
2: in a very methodical way. Like she's not just crazy fighting. You know what I mean? She's not just a killing machine with no thought. Like true. The, the moves she makes are very tactical. Like kill these three, cut this arm off, shoot that over there, do this. Like it's, it's all cerebral fighting, which, which good martial arts are.
1: It's not Wolverine berserker mode. Not at all. It's not the Incredible Hulk saying, I'm going to smash.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: This, and we cut to a, another just beautiful shot. Uh, Ventress enters a DNA chamber. We have seen seven minutes of red hallways and battle. And then suddenly we're in the Apple store. Yeah, the,
2: the sterile white.
1: <laughs> and she's a white character. So it's like everything's white yeah. and she is gleaming in that space. And there's a great Obi-Wan new hope throwback here because in new hope he stands before that cylindrical tower and he's turning off the uh, tractor beam real similar yes. image going on here. She's doing the same thing and she's selecting what she wants. She pulls out the cartridge that has the DNA and then just like new hope vader comes out anakin comes out
2: yeah i was gonna say literally
1: and now we're gonna have a fight between those two characters i love that rhyme and you know it's a rhyme because i'll say this later but they use the same uh sound effects for the lightsaber battle the exact same new hope sound design of the lightsabers are just cut and paste And they apply it to the Anakin-Ventress fight. That's awesome. (laughs) But Anakin steps in, and there's a gunslinger Western visual here. Like, you just see him from behind. And it's like he's pushed through the saloon doors. She says,
3: I was beginning to think my presence went unnoticed.
1: Again, that's a New Hope line. Uh, Vader says, I sense
2: something a presence I've not felt since. Oh, wow. I hadn't thought about that. And and in her case, it's really interesting, too, because it's almost like she doesn't want to get in and out covertly. Like she is almost hoping to be noticed and she is hoping yes. for that fight because she wants that because there's there's something she wants to advance for herself. That's exactly
1: right. I think that's totally a part of that character. The blades are drawn. We cut to the armory again. And this is one of those Star Wars things where we have like three battles going on all at once and they just keep intercutting.
2: And they're all interesting and and you never get bored of one and want to go back to the other. Good Star Wars has two to three battles happening at once and they're always balanced so well and it's so fun.
1: I can't overstate how brilliant the creation of these are. This arc is ending like so many other Star Wars films where you've set up the clone cadets rookies and then here's where you do all of the intercut battles just like phantom menace is that way return of the jedi is that way it's just uh it is a student appreciation for their predecessors that they're honoring and taking to the next level honorable so honorable anyway 99 says
0: here it is everything we need is here excellent work 99
2: hurry up the droids have almost reached the barracks let's get into position
1: 99 needs a lot of pats on the back by the way
2: well, yeah, you know come on oh
1: well it's just my job come on
2: just happy to be involved
1: and then we cut to outside the armory open
2: up get those
3: doors open and scare the remaining clones out of hiding Roger, Roger.
1: because again when everything's when you're a hammer everything's a nail the doors open up and just like in rookies
2: Boom, boom. You
1: get decapitated by blaster fire.
2: That's such a great moment.
1: (laughs) Fight ensues. And then, just like Ventress comes in from the side and strangles a guy, another Jedi steps in from the side, and we see another very Western image here of just the boots of one Obi-Wan Kenobi, gunslinger. Grievous feels like he has the cadets where he wants them, and he says, All
4: too easy.
0: Define easy,
2: General.
4: Kenobi.
2: Yeah, it doesn't feel like James Bond, but, it, but there is definitely like that type of a character, or even like an Indiana Jones type of a character.
1: Lightsabers are drawn, and we cut back and forth between their battle, Kenobi and Grievous, and Anakin and Ventress's battle. At one point, Grievous grabs Kenobi by the face, throws him to the ground, and Grievous says,
3: Kenobi, Kamino has fallen.
0: Your clone army is doomed. I beg to differ, Grievous.
2: Well, it's, the interesting thing is, there's no real indicator that Grievous is winning at this point. Mm-hmm. They're pretty evenly matched. They're getting the crap kicked out of them just like the Jedi are. So yeah. to stake this claim of, like, you're about to lose, is like, eh, let's let's not get carried away. We get
1: to the clones who are running down a hallway taking position. 99 is throwing soldiers, thermal detonators, so that they can fight. There are 20 or so droid soldiers advancing down the hallways, and we don't realize it, but they are wooing these droids into a kill zone. And then Rex yells into a comlink. Suddenly, students come out from hiding places and begin firing at droids. It's unexpected, and it's a great little move there, yeah?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just... In the same way that these kids don't think that they're ready to do this, you get to see them suddenly thrust into battle and they get to do things that, that they wouldn't or shouldn't really do. In the same way that 99 is. They they are told, like, you're, you're doing the same thing we're doing. You're cadets.
1: Cut back to the Anakin-Ventress fight. And it's only because between kindergarten and third grade that I watched New Hope at least 482 times. That when I hear the sound being used in this lightsaber battle, I'm like, I know where that is from. <laughs> and it's it's, it's just ripped from the Kenobi Vader fight. And it makes my heart glad because they do some visual design. The fight between Anakin and Ventress is really stunning. And the choreography again, well-placed, and it just beat for beat lines up with the sound effects. And then we cut to the clones again. All this cross-cutting. But we cut back to the clones in the hallway and one of the great scenes in all of Star Wars canon. I may have jumped too quickly into that. I love this scene. And it is one of those scenes that is a Easily a top 20 for me, if not higher. Maybe I'll create that list someday. Yeah. But Rex takes a grenade from 99 and he tosses it to Cody.
0: Last one, Commander. Make it count. I'll get more. And he
1: begins to run away 99. down the hallway. You can't. And 99 says to Rex and to himself
0: I'm a soldier like you. This is what I was bred for. <laughs>
1: Fantastic last line. Identity all over this. Self-understanding all over this. Culmination of character beats, plot, all all in that, all in that line. Just gloriously put together.
2: Yeah, and it's Yeah, I agree.
1: This is the second time in this episode that 99 dismissed those in command to do what he thinks is right. And he is running and he's speaking those words of identity and purpose. And here's, here's something, this is a deep dive that I so appreciate the music raises and we know that things are going to go badly here because there is a female chorus that begins singing at this moment. And this is important. Voices are not used in star Wars music very often. They are a sign of the darkness prevailing. Anytime the, the, The vocals of human beings are used in Star Wars music, darkness has has emerged. So when we see Duel of the Fates, Anakin Skywalker in the Duel of the Fates, he is going to lose because the the one person who could actually move Anakin toward the proper light side was going to be Qui-Gon. Obi-Wan Kenobi is not prepared for that. And the Duel of the Fates is called the Duel of the Fates because it's the fate of Anakin, and he's going to lose. And so when Maul comes out and we hear... (laughs) That's bad.
2: And it's, and it's striking, and immediate. You immediately get a very visceral, emotional reaction to hearing it in that in this scene and in that scene. Um, and it's used to great effect.
1: The darkness is here. Mm-hmm. It's not just that the Sith are being unveiled, which they haven't been for obviously a long point of time, a pre-period of time, which is part of that. But it's also that the darkness will prevail. The Emperor's theme is colored with voices. Um, When the Falcon arrives at Cloud City in Empire Strikes Back, that's one of the places where where voices are used in the music. That's right. I'm doing the deep dive here just because it's so profound. How many times voices are used to showcase this is when the darkness is winning. Padme. Padme. When she is by herself and internalizing what Anakin might do in terms of his choices, she's ruminating there in front of the windows. It's very much colored with these human voices. And then when the battle of the heroes between Obi-Wan and Anakin takes place. It's this beautiful thread that just runs through all of Star Wars. And we see it here.
0: 99, you can't! I'm a soldier! Like you! This is what I was bred
4: for. <laughs>
1: One other death. All of Star Wars that crushes me every time I watch it. um, Which for those of you who are in the know, it, it occurs in somewhere near the end of Rebels. But this character, bravo. Yeah. He was in three animated episodes on Nickelodeon. Yeah. And our affection for this character is just off the charts.
2: And to see him yeah him him running off to his to his doom being shot getting up still running our realization and his realization that he is a soldier is beautiful and classic and and he gets essentially he gets the hero's send-off and and in uh in doing so sorry (laughs) here we go uh in doing so, he gets acceptance into the brotherhood that he's always wanted to be in. Like this yeah. is like he's fully embraced by that, and he's and he's home. I'll
1: have to think about that one. That's a big word. Yeah. One of the last notes here is there seems to be a callback to the death of Heavy. I mentioned it when we did rookies, but I didn't want to spoil this. But there's a lot of real visual parallels. Because Heavy is shot, and he's nearly killed, but he's lurching towards the detonator for the bomb. And his body movement is very similar to 99's body movement.
0: Let's move! It's no use! I know what I have to do! I don't like your tone, rookie.
1: And those two characters, in terms of how they're moving through the hallways... They are going to meet their end in self-sacrificial style. Throughout this arc, they've had parallels, and there's only a handful of characters in the lore of Western culture, human narratives. The stories of the two interconnected souls who both perish, it's just a real interesting story, and that happens here. But they're they're on different planets when they die in different spaces, and yet their their the imagery of their their narrative is very different and very similar.
2: Absolutely. I don't
1: Cut to Shakti radioing to the clones and Obi-Wan fighting Grievous, and we see this trident fall and destroy the platform that Kenobi and Grievous are battling on, and Grievous anchors in with his claws, but Kenobi is actually thrown off of the platform, and he begins falling to the ocean, which I'm sure is like, you know, 15 stories below, and he's gonna die, you know, hitting the ocean.
2: Okay, if you're gonna hit that water, that's gonna be
1: hard. And then we see one of those, I was, rising up, Kenobi is on its back, and it begins singing.
2: And <laughs> Obi Wan says,
3: We've got to stop beating like this, my friend.
2: Which is a very Roger Moore, James Bond line me to say there is
3: no way to trace that bullet no idea what
2: it went through to get here
3: that's not funny 007 something about kenobi
1: being so cerebral in some moments but he ends up also filling in that comic relief
2: oh yeah he's very funny
1: because you just had the death of a major character and so you kind of have to have that swing
2: it's yeah it's 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 balanced very well
1: We see troops taking position with a bazooka, and they unleash a shot. And this is gorgeous. Again, this bazooka missile, I assume is the way it is, you know, comes out. It begins meandering through the whole city, and it strikes one of those massive tridents, and it causes it to fall off the large platform. And we see it fall, and it's crashing, and one of its massive arms hits a platform as... Ventress comes running underneath it. And then we see Anakin Skywalker spring over the, the arm like heroic majesty going on here in terms of just the power of this character. There's an athleticism and obviously he's using the supernatural force.
2: Yeah. Ah,
1: just gets me every time. Cause he springs out Everyone sees the lady with the red blades and knows she's the bad guy. They All the clones look. But then when Anakin hurdles this trident arm, on, one of the clones just yells out, Look, it's the general! And you're just like, yeah! It's all,"
2: We mentioned Hamilton earlier. There is your here comes the general <laughs> moment.
1: <laughs> I couldn't place that!
0: Here he comes. Here
1: comes the general. Ladies. I was trying. Was- I kept saying to the myself,
0: what is that? Where is that moment? Here comes, I
2: can't comes remember. the general. That's one of my favorite moments in Hamilton.
0: Oh, so <laughs> what? <We are good. laughs>
1: Another gorgeous lightsaber fight ensues. Anakin pulls the DNA chamber from Ventress's belt. She screams because she's frustrated here that she didn't get what she wanted and she attacks him with ferocity, kicks him in the face. He is pushed back. The DNA capsule falls to the side. And then this is a great Star Wars rhyme. She goes to reach for it with the Force, pulls it to herself, and it is caught by a clone. And there's a Force Awakens image here, where Kylo Ren pulls this Anakin sword from the snow, and it flies past his face, and it goes into Rey's hand instead. Love that trope. Of uh, I'm using the force for sinister motives. I pull this object towards myself to grab it, and I win, but then I don't win. It's like a sudden right. ah, then it gets snatched.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. The it's so close. The thing you want is almost there, and then at the last minute, somebody comes in and and ruins your whole thing. And it's perfect. Did
1: you did you see who catches the DNA capsule?
2: you know i know i did but
1: it is an unnamed shiny oh it's just a clone and it's a new clone it's it's somebody who has absolutely no battle fatigue on his armor yeah he's got he's got the earliest possible uniform he grabs it from Ventress, and then he's surrounded by his brothers i think that's a great move as well oh yeah you may you make it the character who it's just an unnamed character.
2: Who ends up preventing the worst thing from happening. Exactly.
1: And I think that clone, the unnamed clone, represents so much of what Kamino is. It's the unnamed soldier kind of image there where it's, it doesn't matter who this is. This clone represents everybody else because then other clones begin to assemble around him. And it's one of those images. You see this in movies like A Bug's Life where it's like we're all in this together and that's what gives us power. And they they see Ventress, and, and she's truly in, in a bad spot at this moment.
2: Yeah. Well, and it is the, the fact that he does that, and they're all together. It just it's, it it feeds more into the notion of home and the the yes. heart that is behind protecting your home. Ventress says,
3: "I suppose you expect me to surrender."
2: She's looking for anything to say
1: at this moment. So it's
2: like, it's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to have the 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 villain always has to have something to say.
1: Anakin. Quippoli says...
2: Actually, I plan to
1: let the clones
0: execute you.
1: Your life really isn't that valuable to me right now. And uh, this is the last chess move. This is where the king gets taken off
2: the board. Right. And it's also him saying... In the way we've talked about, there are main bad guys or main characters, and then there are secondary ones. It's him saying, "I'm gonna, you're not important enough for I'm gonna turn it over to these <laughs> secondary guys. Here it is. They will, they will do the thing because it's so not worth it for me."
1: Sometimes in these serials, you have to get the villain out of there quick, and it's right. just how these work. But she
3: says, "Not this time."
1: Force pushes everyone and then jumps onto
2: Grievous' escape pod as it's flying by.
1: We will allow that that's just just what you need to do sometimes.
2: Yeah, sometimes you got to get to the next episode.
1: But uh, all all of that up to that moment is just so worthy. And then we cut back to the hall and they're over the body of 99. One of the cadets says, We did it.
0: We had them back. We lost a true soldier. He really was one of us.
1: So again kind of the, that balance there there's the victory in battle and there's the loss in battle anytime you're going to go fight the major battle the people around you are going to die and if you win it's going to be wonderful and yet the people around you are going to die yeah
2: it's a, it's a bittersweet it's a, it's a melancholy bittersweet win
1: cut to outside with the four main clone characters rex says
2: there you go lives
0: you both really stepped up in the heat of battle.
1: Echo, again, downplays success, just like he does in the Rookies episode. He says,
0: We did what we had to do, sir. What any clone would have done.
1: But Rex ends the episode with a monologue.
0: Both of you showed valor out there. Real courage. Remind me of me, actually. Echo? Fives? You're both officially being made ARC troopers. troopers. I don't think the Separatists will be coming back here anytime soon but if they do Kamino will be lucky to have clones like you defending it Good job, men
1: Cue the Metallica
2: Yeah, it's per- they're, they're the two left and, and, and they get it They get the thing that they wanted
1: They get the thing they wanted is the thing
2: One of the observations we made in our, for one of our first episodes about this particular arc, the, the notion that all stories are about a character wanting something and the obstacles that are in their way and what are they going to do to get it.
1: And that's the, the journey. Yeah. In great news, they use Echo and Fives profoundly throughout. We'll, we'll get to it. Um, the Both these characters have very meaningful parts to play in the narrative of the Clone Wars as things materialize and it's not necessarily what you expect but this is kind of that it feels like new hope you know we, we blew up the death star we got the medal and now what's going to happen well now what's going to happen yeah. is that second dark episode and don't be surprised when there there are times where the show decides we might leave you feeling funny with characters you care about
2: <laughs> absolutely and that's good storytelling and that is exactly right so hey last
1: word on this episode
2: it's it's one of my favorites so far. Very very good from from not only really wonderful emotional character moments but also just really awesome f- battles, lightsaber duels, blaster duels, droids, like it is it is it is one of those things that has everything that you like about Star Wars rolled up into one thing. I
1: agree. There is a ton of the best of Everything that's going on in the universe at this time all converge into the same point in time, and you get to see it all getting played out. If you added Palpatine or Yoda, it might be too much, but you had exactly the right spices for the mix, and you mixed it together, and you let it go, and so much ends up working here. Um,
0: Yeah,
4: no, it's perfect.
1: So uh, you want to hear what's up next? Do it. We're going to watch two wonderful little one-off stories. The first is The Deserter, which is a Rex story, and then we're going to watch Hostage Crisis, which is our first episode that elevates the scandalous relationship between a senator and a young Jedi lover. Uh-oh. As with all the <laughs> podcasts, uh, however, <laughs> LA, I, I, I spent way too much time trying to get that line down right, but... well.
2: Mission accomplished.
1: (laughs) That's what I was shooting
2: for. I liked it.
1: But dear listener, here's what you need to know. This podcast is only going to survive if you share it with passion to friends who you love and who love a galaxy far, far away. The music is by Ludwig Goranson, Samuel Kim, John Williams, and the great Kevin Kiner. The character and audio was all created by the fantastic people at Lucasfilm and is owned by Disney. Uh, You can find the binge list online and you can share your thoughts with us on Twitter, which we would love to hear. Do add us with all of your nitpicks um, because Daniel will internalize those. And (laughs) I 100%
2: will. So just think about what you're doing to another human,
1: but give us some stars. Uh, Tell, tell us what you love on your podcast platform of choice. You got anything else on this episode on, on anything?
2: No, I I think we I think we did it.
1: He's Daniel Methershed. and. He's
2: the brave. We are. I'm Jeff Cook. <laughs> You'll call me Captain or Sir. Sir, yes, sir. Or just Brown Eyes. <laughs> they green, brother. Well, I know, but I was. <laughs> that was a written. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> is that
1: a movie reference.
2: It's a re- it's a Mandalorian reference. Oh, of
1: course it is. <laughs> call yourself a Star Wars fan. But this is not the way
2: it is not exactly. conversation anyway